electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC, Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, the New York Stock Exchange. Flattish open as the market absorbs the last big prints of the week. Apple, Amazon, Chevron, Exxon, Intel. Ten-year dips to 3.9 overnight, but higher again as core PCE jumps another five-tenths. Employment costs soften to 1.2. Our roadmap begins with the ongoing tech route. Amazon delivering some disappointing guidance. Apple hit by Forex. Intel moves to belt tightening. Plus, the Musk era begins. The Tesla CEO now officially in charge as well of Twitter and its former CEO, its CFO, its legal counsel. Well, they all exit the building. And Big Oil's profits, Exxon and Chevron, both report robust results for the fourth quarter. We're going to talk with Chevron's Mike Worth this hour. Let's begin with big tech earnings this morning. Apple with that uh, beat, including some record revenue for September quarters, uh, despite iPhone sales coming in shy of consensus. And then there's Amazon tumbling in the pre-market after missing on Q3 revenue, projecting weaker holiday sales for the current quarter, Jim. And as normal, their range is pretty wide on the quarter. Right. Uh, look, there's no, no doubt about it. Amazon did not deliver anywhere near what people thought. Uh, what I was trying to do last night, David, I didn't understand trying to figure out how to value things. I mean, Amazon Web Services, let's say it's doing 80 billion. It's got 80 billion. If you give it, say, a 10 multiple, maybe that's just random, but you give it a 10 multiple, now you look at the new Amazon, the new Amazon with a market cap that's dramatically lower, and you say, well, wait a second. Uh, I'm getting pretty much the rest of the company for very little money. The ad business was very, very strong. No one disputes that. Yep. Retail uh, was not bad. Uh, retail was not bad. The uh, projections, I think, were uh, reflect maybe that some of their customers aren't doing that well. and They're giving them some breaks. How about that? But what do we make of the slowdown in growth at Amazon Web Services? Well, Is that- it because of continued and increasing competition from the likes of Google and Azure and others? Or is it a reflection of a slowdown in the overall economy? I think it's the latter. I think it's reflection, and, and that I think the customers themselves are, are hurt. I think that one of the things that's happened, things are happening with such a great speed. We should have realized, of course, when the Fed raised the rates with such great speed that the narrative changes quickly. But I think some of the customers are saying, listen, we need a little breaker. Just let's uh, step back. Let's, step let's back. not commit. Yeah. And I think that uh, to me, Andy Jassy, who is, I think, getting a little bad rap here, I think Andy Jassy is going to take care of the situation. Right. Now, it's very difficult uh, to say that there's one person who can come in and take care of it, but Jassy's going to take the time. He, he knows how to fire. He knows how to right the ship. But I do think that Amazon Web Services is now undervalued within the, in the business. You do. I yeah, mean, I do. as you said, $82 billion run rate on right. sales. But, what, uh, but maybe again, the, is, it, is the 10 percent year over year. That excludes uh, foreign exchange impact. Right. Um, I mean, you got a billion, you know, you have a company that's valued at, at a trillion, and you've mm-hmm. got this thing you could value at eight hundred thirty billion. So, is is the rest of it worth one hundred seventy? That's all it's worth. 
right? I mean, it would so, seem like that might very well be uh, be the case. Right. Um, Apple, you know, Apple's interesting. More interesting. Well, yeah. I oh, mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to point out to Carl as well. To your point, uh, Jim, they did say during the call that you know they've seen an uptick in customers for uh, Amazon Web Services who are focused on controlling costs. Right. Which is what you might anticipate in an environment like this. I think they're. I think everybody's skittish. I, look, I didn't think Amazon. Uh, when you give a forecast in your Amazon, you're going to be very wide in what you do. I think that what you want to think about is Amazon next year and and Jassy riding the ship. And, and really, unfortunately, they're very overstaffed still. See, I had thought that they had made cuts that were meaningful. Maybe they're just in the wrong place. Dave, you know that they have far too much staff for this moment. Sorry, they far, have far too, too much staff. Staff, too yes. The, well, costs are, the costs are way out of whack. Well, Carl, Amazon hired more people in the quarters during the pandemic than we've ever seen a, US, right. a corporation in history hire. And they hire the, yeah. the army. They have to let people go. The war's over. Well, one notion that's being uh, talked about this morning is that AWS grew out of a, a surfeit of startups when money was cheap. Yeah, and then that, that obviously is not going to continue to happen at the same pace. I, I actually agree with that to some degree. I also think that there are a lot of companies that are just not doing that well and saying, listen, you know, we need a break here. Uh, but the startup cause, that's, that's like a new cause and effect that, yes. But remember, I mean, you're not getting the stock at the top. I, I guess I want to make a case for, the, for this company as a longer-term winner, but not something you can just say tomorrow's going to win. I think Jassy's going to make a series of very smart moves that will make you feel that, that the costs are back in line. And the costs are just out of whack. And you can do something about that because demand's not out of whack, except for, for some Amazon Web customers. The actual company of Amazon has great demand, but they are really overstaffed. And continue to be, um, you in your opinion. You agree? I don't know where, but I think that may be the case across a lot of tech. And we talked about we it yesterday. Uh, specific, obviously, to uh, in parts to Meta, but uh, given the numbers we've seen, Given the fact that Alphabet hired 12,500 people last quarter, when that was not well, what was anticipated, well, I do think that there is a belief that there is some fat to cut, so to speak, and we'll need to, that will need to take place. Well, By the way, that does lend to people believing next year is not going to be the easiest year overall. Well, I told you that the, the layoffs the in this country is going to be centered in Silicon Valley. And one of the things that, I, that is most disconcerting, Carl, is when I ask these people where the layoffs are coming, or where are these people being hired, they don't know. The companies got so big and have so many different divisions and had so many different things that they're working on that aren't panning out. And by the way, Amazon's got them too. That I don't, they've lost the control of their own internal hiring. Well, others would say the country is understaffed in tons of industries, right. but it would require a huge uh, career hop. Let's yeah. say, right? Well, I just think that there's, I mean, look, there's what I'm waiting for is a reduction in force in blah, blah, blah. And they don't do that. I had Jim Umpel be on this yeah. from Caterpillar. Do you think Caterpillar knows how to do this stuff? I mean, I would say that they're excellent at firing people. But, David, they know what each division is doing. These companies are like the Army. The companies, the, the oh, old oh, fang oh. are like the Army. Which means what? Well, like, you know, when you're like, my dad was in the Army, and, like, they lost his division. They didn't know where his division was for a couple of weeks. He was 4P? Yeah. yeah. They didn't have where GPS back then. You no, know? they didn't. Yeah. Nobody, he was had, a, he was nobody a, had a wearable No, no. Then. I mean, he was yeah. on, like, a cruiser. They lost where the cruiser was. I mean, I know. It, it just feel like the Army. It's like, well, where, what happened to 
Where's the Sixth Army right now? Well, you know, they're like Philippines. No, that's what it feels like. I, I listen to these companies and I, I get the sense it's like they've got operations that they started when things were better. And they're saying, like, okay, what, where, what are you doing in healthcare? What are you, guys, what, what are you, what are you doing in healthcare? Just Wait, you, you know, I'm right. Like, what, do you have a health? We have a healthcare division? What are they doing? <laughs> are they are like trying to make it so that we're better? Is that, is that like a, a teledoc? You got a teledoc going there? They have lost control. All right. Um, why do you think Apple's more interesting than Amazon? And what do we make of the services number? Okay, okay so I think services is very much linked to China and gaming. Um, I think the dollar there, they've hedged, but the dollar's just really horrible. But when I hear that, uh, if you go back two weeks ago, we were hearing these stories. I talked to Tim, to Tim Cook last night about how there were suppliers and there were problems and they were cutting. First of all, he said that you can't ever judge from any of those stories because we change our suppliers and our orders constantly. So he said, just take that off the table. But the one thing that I liked about what happened that I did not get at all from the reportages, they can't make all the 14 Pros and the Maxes that are really wanted. They're way, way behind in, in ordering. And that is great. The watch is doing incredibly well. The universe of when you buy a phone and then buy the rest of the ecosystem has just continued to ramp. Where is buy now, pay later? You know when that comes out. They're, they, have a, they have a kind of a bogus buy. When they go and do buy now, pay later, remember, they don't have any bad debts. A lot of the buy now, pay later companies, David, you know, they actually like, it's like, whoa, oh, I have a scoop. Needham's got a great stat this morning. Uh, the average household uh, now has um, 1.8 devices. Right. Uh, the average iOS user was one and a half three years ago. Right. The more devices you have, uh, the better long-term value per user, the exactly. lower the churn, and so forth. And more services, I suppose, 900 as well, million subscribers. Yeah, 900 million subscribers, no bad debt. Uh, really doing, starting to do well in, in Indonesia. And, you know, people talk about, this was something Unilever turned away. So what, what do you love? What, what, what matters to you? Because well, Indonesia matters, India matters, Brazil matters. Well, that is exactly where Apple's doing well. I actually thought after speaking with, with Tim and Luca, actually the fantastic CFO, that this was a very good quarter. Uh, given what's happening in China, and the China numbers were very good, one of the few companies that actually had good numbers in China, and given the fact that the strong dollar has obliterated just billions of dollars worth of profit, billions, the strong dollar. Like, how bad is everybody else that they want in our country? I mean, service gross margin was 70.5%. It was down, but that was largely 100 basis points due to FX. But it does give you a sense, and there you're actually reading about that as well, uh, as to how profitable those services revenues are. Service revenues are fantastic. And, you know, people just pay, you know, you get your little receipt at the bottom. But I'm telling you that they want to become, that their next move is financial, and it's big. But Why, the, what does that mean? That it's financial. Well, they just and really want to become more. They, they want to be. That, they did that credit card with Goldman, right, or whatever. Why do you? Just, you're so dismissive. I don't. Well, I don't. know. It's been around for a while. I don't really. Well, I'm saying that this is a, the next big initiative. What you're going to the next series of things you're going to hear about financial the services phone and financial services. You think buy now, pay later, possibly. Yes. Okay. Yes. High yield savings. Yes. Credit card. Everything's going to be on this. Really. They're going to work with a financial institution, though, aren't they? It's not, they're not going I to become one. Goldman. Goldman's got this business. 
Yeah, although the, the buy now, pay later has been reported that they'll, they'll, that's on their, their balance. I right. think it's going to be a very big, yes. But remember, they have no, I mean, Lucas said over and over again to me, like, there's like no default. They, one of the things that, and Seaver said it last night from T-Mobile, which is that you, you will not default. You, no one's going to have their phone taken away because they didn't pay a bill. See, like, let's say you use the Macy's credit card and you decide not to pay Macy's. All right. Some crown collection. Like when I, when I had really some serious reversals and I was living in my car. Um, Crown Collection Agency caught up with me uh, about three years later, and I, I had to pay like a dollar a week for the next like 400 years. Right. Versus Apple. They take your phone. Can't live without that. I mean, you can take my house, which they did, but you can't take my phone. <laughs> Took your house. All right, let's talk about Twitter, guys. Right. Not for the last time, okay. but it's no longer a public company. We told you it wouldn't uh, be one uh, right. this morning. And the new era begins. The Musk era begins. It was uh, yesterday um, when I tweeted myself uh, about the fact that he had taken charge. Right. Um, and uh, in a rather dramatic fashion, a um, number of the top executives, including CFO Ned Siegel, CEO Parag Agrawal, um, essentially fired and uh, told to get their stuff and Get out. Why uh, was he fired for cause? Well, there is legal action that is still ongoing. Is Ned Siegel fired for cause? And will, be, and will continue to be ongoing in terms of Mr. Musk's belief that uh, the executive team and potentially the board were aware of, um, uh, of uh, things going on at the company that were not disclosed and should have been. Okay, with regard to the number of bots on the platform and what the whistleblower knew and when the whistleblower knew it. All of this may end up in court at some point. We'll see. But um, one of the reasons why at least heard that they were not willing to take or accept what they say was an offer of a lower offer to complete the deal was because the CEOs in question wanted their golden parachutes and wanted indemnity against any future lawsuits. And they weren't willing to do that. We'll see where this goes, but yesterday's so you weren't action, surprised. You weren't surprised that that, that she was fought. No, fired for no. close. You no. weren't. No, I was. I, I, was I mean, I, I, I. It follows along the legal strategy at this point that Musk and his team are going to have. Now, it is it worth asking that question though? You're going to be pursuing that. It's kind of damaging, well, even that, even even if they are the ex executives. It still seems I, somewhat see, damaging to the current company. Exactly. I mean, it's not like these. You know, Ned Seal was not like he was disliked. He was loved. Yeah. And if you, you know, for cause, suddenly you just, look, maybe it doesn't matter. If you replace everybody, who the hell cares? Well, they don't want to pay They don't want to pay him anything that, you know, they might have been owned on. Well, they so they're they, going to have to prove all this. Well, thing, they, which, he actually just laid out a lot of money for Twitter. I don't think Ned's going to yeah. cost as much. No, it wouldn't. And you just saw Mr. Siegel's um, He's got uh, some tweets good, good about his five nice years and how much, you know, all Tears. the mental muscles that he developed. But this is Elon Musk's show now, as we know. Okay. He is the chief twit. He is the CEO, by the way. So he's going to be running. Twitter and SpaceX and Tesla and any number of his other potential efforts that we are aware of as well. Um, and we'll have to see how many and what changes he makes and how quickly he makes them. Um, there is a belief amongst the, uh, the investors who both put in money for the, equ- for the equity or rolled, as uh, Bin Talal in Saudi Arabia indicated just this morning, he's rolling. $1.89 billion worth of equity. There's a belief that he, even though we know he is vastly overpaying for this uh, asset, that Mr. Musk is going to be able to create great value over time. 
And one would certainly look well, at his track record at having done so and say, well, you certainly can't question the, the possibility that that would and be the case. He, he's not looking at Twitter the way we are. He's got other ideas. I mean, you're looking at Twitter as a canvas, and he's painting a different picture of the canvas than what we think of. I, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. Now, now, a lot of people are just saying, listen, on Monday, um, the real Donald Trump will be back, and that will obviously drive... And we'll add, never, if that never is the said case, that there are certain track. advertisers that will no longer want to be on the platform. Mm-hmm. These are going to, listen, be important decisions. The next few weeks, from what I am told, are going to be uh, in some ways difficult. Mr. Musk will be there at Twitter headquarters, um, uh, I'm also told, with some frequency as they make this transition, decide who's staying, who's leaving. You heard reports, you know, that I have not confirmed it. As many as three quarters of the staff could be dismissed, but certainly there will be uh, uh, there will be a reduction in levels. We know as well that Mr. Musk likes you to work from the office. So if you want to work from home, you're probably not. um, And that was the case at Twitter, by the way. I was surprised to see some of those pictures of all those employees there to greet him (laughs) because so few have been in the building every day. he will make a, a lot of changes. He needs to do that in order to try to get, you know, what he believes is this X app that he has described and a place that is going to be um, a strong one for advertisers there. Look at all those people who are, who are already, already yeah, Walter, in the building. Walter's still shadowing him. Meantime, there's been some um, a look back at its life as a public company over almost a decade. Annual return of about eight, Jim is lower than the S&P and lower than the Nasdaq at 15. They had no revenue growth. I mean, it shows you, we'll probably talk about Pinterest later, but even any little inflection out there is really positive. They had no revenue growth, and they haven't had it for some time. And I think that one of the reasons why, because some people feel like I want to get in on on, uh, on what Musk is doing is because he's got a a tabula rasa situation. I mean, it frankly can't be... Uh, there's got to be something more there than what they've been able to do with it. And I agree with that. I, I, anybody who's tried to deal with them on an advertising basis knows that it's, it, 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 even if the top people are involved, it's impossible to get commerce done. You just can't get commerce done with them. Now, I know Andrew was talking about earlier uh, the idea that, David, advertisers don't want to be necessarily next to it. There's a lot of direct response ads that would, people who would love to be in and be able to say, listen, I want to I isolate... 07201, mm-hmm. and I want tweets there, and they can't do it. So, in other words, you, if you want to put an ad in for Bar San Miguel, sure, the, it's great. The people who are in Ashland, Oregon, are looking at it and say, "I got to go buy there that weekend." I mean, you know, it, it's the worst ROI. Would you, if you ran GM, would you advertise on Twitter? If I ran GM, absolutely, you would, absolutely. Even though he, he's your competitor, he's going to see. Essentially, you're at least this slice of your ad strategy um, runs Tesla. I think I would do it. I think I'd do it because there's enough that is not competitive, that is just educational, that's necessary. I mean, I, I, do, you, do you think GM's got interesting cars, that, that interesting trucks that are worth being seen? So you it give, will be you interesting to see, though, whether, in fact, if you're GM, you feel comfortable advertising on this platform, given he is a competitor. I don't know. I think if you have um, eyeballs, you want to be seen. That's probably true. All right, I'm going to do my ceremonial deleting of the Twitter uh, on my list of stocks to watch. Done. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Although it's still on the S&P until Tuesday, I think, right? Until the 1st on the SEC indices. S&P is an indices. What, what a run. That what a run. Public at 26. We all remember that day. 
we do. Could have been something. Could have been a contender. <laughs> right, Charlie? Came this Talos. Place. Could have been a contender. When we come back, uh, moving from tech to uh, big oil, mega profits, we'll go inside Exxon and Chevron's results. Don't miss Chevron's Mike Worth. He's going to be on shortly after the opening bell as uh, we take stock of uh, not just the inflation data today, but we'll get consumer sentiment pending homes at 10. Don't go anywhere. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Plenty to get to this morning. Opening bell coming up in just about eight minutes. Uh, there's a look at futures, which have gotten a little bit of bounce here, although the NASDAQ will be troubled, obviously, by some tech earnings last night. Don't forget, you can always catch us anytime, anywhere. Just listen to and follow the Squawk on the Street opening bell podcast. We're back in a moment. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Let's get to a mad dash with Jim, and then we will take you right to uh, the opening bell, final day of trading for what has been an interesting week yes. uh, with all these earnings. Costco is what you want uh, to discuss. Uh, controversial week, yes. where earnings have had many different shades and colors. So I'm going to give you one that's just stark. Costco this morning, Morgan Stanley, international warehouses on track, white space underappreciated, top line markets healthy. Initial signs of disinflation, good warehouse expansion, and yes, David, we could have, be on the verge of what we all like who own Costco, as my travel trust does, fee hike and special dividend. It could all be right there for us, for those who want to own Costco. Right there. Okay. It's right there. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I'm just saying that's a good news story. There's a, good, a lot of good there. Well, I mean, the stock is down a lot less than the broader market well, I, this year. I tried to come up with something that I thought objectively was just a very good story to buy. That's what I was interested in. I wasn't trying to come up with anything that was a new thesis that's never been tried before. Wanted some tried and true. And Costco is the one. Okay. Rich Glanty, great CFO. Um, in this market, it does seem as though there is rotation, particularly even today. I mean, we've had... Let's call it not a great week for mega, mega cap tech. Yeah, you got that partner. Between, I don't even, 
I don't even know if you can consider Meta mega cap any longer, but Meta, Amazon this morning, we'll be watching Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, obviously one perhaps bright spot, a little brighter. But the rotation, the market's holding up. Oh, the rotation, rotation is into, into like, energy names. And don't forget, well, yeah, we're going to be talking about Microsoft from Chevron. There was a downgrade. Apple T-Mobile, too, don't forget. It's really, Let's not forget T-Mobile. We we'll talk about it in a minute. But I mean, for instance, there was a downgrade today for Caterpillar. <laughs> and, and the Caterpillar downgrade was basically... It was, this is not the time to come in. Recommending Cat after this recent move is playing with fire. Now, this, these are from analysts who can't believe how good these companies really are. Like, uh, Jim Mumbleby is running a company, Caterpillar, that is like the way uh, we thought about tech a couple years ago. Cat, he's got a multiple-year runway. I mean, Deutsche says the quarter was really good, but we have to draw a line in the sand. Uh, they think the backlog is peaked. They think that's been important in the past. Peaked. They can't make all that they need, and we haven't even gotten the federal government orders yet. So the, you, don't, you don't think macro is going to be a headwind for CAT? No, no. I years? think that the biggest problem with CAT is, is to how to meet demand. Yeah, that's a... It's that's, a nice problem to have. That's a, um, a key distinction. I mean, it's, it's certainly not an analyst who's... It's not a, a penguin, as David would say. No, I mean, look, the problem with CAT is no one's used to seeing them be this well run. They think they'll screw it up. They're not. They're not going to screw it up. T-Mobile, David, is just uh, a juggernaut. And the number of people they're adding, I mean, look, they, they add 1.6 million better than T, at T and VZ combined. Now, here's one for you, David. High-speed internet ads, 578,000. That's kind of in your wheelhouse. It is. It is. That's fixed wireless uh, that is starting to really compete with broadband. We've talked about it. There is limited capacity. They can do it in certain right, areas right, where they're right, not right. delivering as much right. cell service, frankly, or where they have a lot of capacity. And, but, but, and, you know so it's I not like across them? the country. But that's a big number. That is a big quarterly number to add over half a million subs. And they did it last quarter, too. Siever told me, my Siever CEO said, you know, others should be concerned. That's the way he put it. Others should be concerned. It, now, it starts adding up. Now, that said, adds up. Uh, our parent company, Comcast, and Charter better as well, expected. are adding a lot, of, expected. a lot of wireless subscribers. By so. the way, Morgan Stanley today reiterates Comcast overweight. They're only overweight, by I, the way, I, in CableSat. I, I actually am going gonna, I'm gonna to put that with, in my pillow with my lobby blanket. <laughs> I need something in my lobby blanket now that some other things have been taken away. Their target's 45. Their argument is that broadband has pricing power, that was and you're going to see that. Think that he's just tying this guy, David. The broadband pricing power? Yeah. What do you think of that? I don't know. It's don't pretty know. competitive out there. We'll see. T-Mobile comes in at a lower price if we can get really, it. I, I mean, I gotta tell you, if I were Verizon right now, I'd be shaking in my boots. That's how strong Steve's numbers were for T-Mobile. If you are Verizon, Jim, you, you've got a market cap that's $25 billion below T-Mobile's. 25 billion below T-Mobile's market cap now. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Excuse me. 30 billion. Oh, because we just changed, opened. It changed a second ago? Yeah. You know, there are a lot of stocks that are that, in the oil packs that are interesting. For instance, Pioneer, one of my favorites. Uh, Pioneer supposedly supposedly missed on the, this is a $64 billion company. Supposedly missing the revenue, supposedly missing the dividend, supposedly missing the earnings, and the stock's up four. I mean, it's just as nothing in tech can do anything right. You cannot do anything wrong if you're in the Permian and oil. You can't. David, you can drink the stuff and not do bad with a straw. I, 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 I actually almost did. It looked, it looked like tea. 
I drank fracking fluid once. Because I, I, when I Do was down that? in the Permian, they showed me, and then there's different types. Yeah, fracking fluid? I've never uh, it, drank fracking fluid. It tastes like, it fluid. Tastes, it tastes like nitro, nitro, uh, Starbucks nitro. Nice. Well, we have, um, I mean, obviously production down there is overtaking pipelines capacity. We got to talk about that getting, with Mike. Yep. Mike Worth, because uh, the, our aversion to building pipelines in this country is starting to play a role in our ability to be able to, to now, I know that, that the people from the White House will say that everything, you know, they're tra- busy trading oil there, don't worry about it, selling oil, the SPR. I, by the way, there are people who are actually defending the SPR of pumping as being uh, strategic. Yeah. Is it strategic, David? Uh, I don't know. I want just give it to me. No, actually, Jim, I think it's somewhat political because it's the most it's ever been drawn. No, it's actually been done before. No, actually, not at this level. But Trump did it. No, but nowhere near. There. The whole thing's been covered. Okay? It's like, it's like Dom DeLuise when he was triple, uh, triple schizophrenic. Uh, thank you for taking care of that for me. I appreciate it. No problem. You can play me anytime you want. Can I? Sure. Sure. All right. You won't be quite as good as I am playing myself, but... You know, you Were you on the Today Show today? I was on the Today Show, yes. yes. <laughs> Talking about Elon, Elon Musk. I thought you were. I thought I was dialing around. Just, yeah, I haven't fever. been on that in a while. It's fever on the Today Very show. nice, very nice. <laughs> Lovely to see them all. Yeah, it's good, it's good. Uh, Darren Woods was on Squawk this morning, though. Talked about um, at least a North American refining uh, uh, doing quite well. And basically making the argument, Jim, to your point, that the White House uh, is giving OPEC pricing power, and you shouldn't be surprised when they use it. Yeah, I, I don't really understand the White The White House is, I, I think that they're trying to come to terms with, with keeping prices lower. Uh, they're trying to come to terms with, with whether so, the Saudis, you know, when you, I met recently with this, a high-level so, Saudi official who said, you know, we're your friend. I said, well, no, I know that, I know that. I mean, but there's, there, everyone's confused about the U.S.'s oil policy. Everybody. The oil companies, countries, every don't you think, David, that the that the Biden oil policy is difficult to get your arms around? I think you believe that that is the case. Yes. Oh, so and you've no, been very critical so no, of you the can, Biden administration, um, and I, I think you're only, joined in that criticism by any number of other people. No, no, well. I don't want you to. I, 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 I resent that. Why? Because I, I'm talking about oil, not about the administration. What do you mean? Well, you said you were being critical. Well, of you, my, you just were being critical of well, it. What no, are you talking about? No, no, that I agree because I don't understand how you could cut the SPR down this much, and it's never been cut down this much, and it's to keep the price of oil lower at the pump, which, you know, it's not to, because there could be an oil embargo, those of us who lived through 73. Well, we did have a, a war breakout uh, that would could take millions of barrels a day off the market, right? I think if you want oil to come down, you sit down with Mike Worth, and you say, Mike, what pipelines do you need in order to make it so you produce more so that we don't have to deal with OPEC plus? That's what you do. How quickly can they build a pipeline so that it would actually Two impact years. the market? Okay, and would that impact Two the years. market price sooner than that? Yes. The prospect of yes. pipelines? Yes, and we will talk to Mike about that. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm talking about is, is that if FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, you could make, now, the one thing that, it, that Biden people will say is, listen, we're already pumping at 12. We could do 14. But you would need to have to sit down with Mike Worth. And what might happen then is, unfortunately, you might have a photo opportunity where you're sitting next to someone from big oil. And that will not help in the midterm elections unless you white it out, Mike Worth. 
there. Okay? You hear me? I, I hear you. Loud and what clear. I, what did I say? I have no idea. There, that's what I wanted to know. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I rest my case. We didn't get to Intel, Jim, uh, with this. I mean, the guidance looks like a typo. Uh, they see Q4 20 cents. Okay. Streets at 66. All right, so this is one of those. First of all, Pat, I will salute Pat. Mobileye was really good, all right? The Pat Gelsinger, see ya. Second. Mobileye uh, was a very strong IPO. Very strong yes. IPO. So uh, let's give him that. And they he only told me, sold 5% or so. He told me over so. and over again that that would be good. And I want to say to him, not only was it good, it was great. So Pat did that terrifically. Uh, and the value of, of it is, especially after Ford said it can't really do it that well, Mobileye technology is driven. Uh, Pat did say that they're taking some share in PCs. That I, I cannot confirm. Um, but what I... I, 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 what I liked about it was that they had more cash flow than I thought, and I was concerned about the dividend, and now I am less concerned about it. Because of the CapEx cut? Because of the CapEx, yeah. 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 The CapEx cut was meaningful. Uh, Pat seemed to be very realistic about the problems in the industry. There was no pie in the sky. It was a very straightforward quarter. It was better. It could have been much worse. PCs are horrendous. I'm going to say it, David. Pat did a good job. Say that again. What? Pat did a good job. Pat goes, wow. No, no one's good. He, you know what? He's not that nice. <laughs> he's getting less nice all the time. Inverse, he's getting correlation. He's between. not as nice as yes, he used yes. to be, I'll tell you that much. People, yeah, people are joining us for the first time. When Jim calls somebody nice, it's actually an insult. And when he says they're not nice, that means they're actually doing a good, better job. That's, Pat used to be a nicer guy. Uh, B of A today looks at iPhones in line. Uh, autos, strong. If you look at Texan and Wolf, now Samsung says CapEx might be flat. Uh, maybe right. semis look decent here. Um, the semis have come down a great deal. I didn't like the way Texan Instruments handled its conference call, but boy, I'll tell you, every when you talk to companies about what chips people need, it's almost always Texas. If Texas Instruments can only make more. So I like what's happening there. I wish they, they, they ran a better conference call. I'm going to go back to Apple for a second. The reportage but I do have the, the luxury of having a, a very nice and cordial call with Tim Cook and Luca Maestri, the CFO, before they report. This is something we've been doing for years. And the stock versus what I was hearing is pretty much insane. I mean, you know, Apple is constrained in all the high-end high end products. The Mac is doing incredibly wow. well. Yeah. The watch, uh, the if you owned the if you had, were making the watch as a separate company, yeah, it'd be like a ninety PE, and it, it, the the love for Apple worldwide, the fact that China was amazingly strong. You're listening, and then you're watching. And then, you know, of course, then I'm doing preparing my show, and I'm watching the stocks going down, down, down. I said, like, I, okay, so what are people's? And then I look at the reportage that that that, that the, the iPhone's not that strong, the Mac's not that strong. And I'm just saying, okay, listen, here's the way you do your job. Don't look at the tape. Don't look at the tape. Have confidence in yourself. And I, look, obviously, I've had a soul-searching week. I admit that. But at least I still have confidence that when I hear something good from people I trust. All right. Uh, and it is up. I got, well, they're telling me to move on. What can I do? Oh, damn it. You got You got I was in a soliloquy mode. Well, yeah, that happens a lot, but you got to be quiet for a second. By the way, T Mobile. sound and fury. Signifying absolutely nothing. T Mobile is up a lot. Yeah, well, it's good. Our parent company, Comcast, giving up more or less almost all the gains from yesterday. 
uh, charter reported earnings that were below. Uh, we'll get back to those in a minute. Did want to come back to Credit Suisse. Big story yesterday. Let's hit it quickly today. We'll, for that. Yeah, why not? Why not? A little favor report. You know, there are a lot of components to that Credit Suisse story. The key one, of course, is just the overall restructuring, much of which was anticipated, but not the amount of dilution, uh, not that $4 billion uh, in new equity being raised from both the Saudi National Bank, very wealthy family in Switzerland, the Qataris. Um, we didn't talk as much yesterday about the expected disposition of the investment bank here in the United States and exactly how that's going to work. And so just wanted to come back to that quickly. Of course, as, some, uh, as reports out of Michael Klein, uh, um, a member of the board, been working on this restructuring. But he is also going to now be running the new First Boston. That is when that becomes so it starts as CS First Boston. The separation, essentially, of that company will take place next year. But then the actual taking public of what is described as, remember, a boutique, but not, but more than a boutique, because it does have some capital markets operations. Uh, it's going to have, I think, a $10 billion corporate lending book, $20 billion of risk-weighted assets. Um, so, yeah, it's a boutique, but it's got a leveraged finance uh, underwriting business. It's got an Asian underwriting business. Uh, it does have contracts still with the old, with CS for sales and trading. That is going to uh, merge with Klein and company. That's Michael Klein's current advisory boutique. Done about over a trillion, trillion three in, in, uh, uh, in volume over the last 10 years um, of deals, advising on deals. And that's going to become a company that is essentially spun off in one fashion or another, either a split or an IPO, um, from CS in 24 is the expectation. And you're going to have Klein own a good amount of shares because, of course, he's going to be merging his company into it. You're going to have the current employees, senior employees, own a decent amount of shares. And then you're going to have a CS own a decent amount, but they'd love to get them down below 50%. And you're going to be giving out equity to your new hires. And that will be the future for what we will begin to call First Boston. Uh, I am told First that as part of cool. their efforts, they're going to raise some money. Um, it's going to be, they've been offered as much as what I am told is $2 billion um, in uh, what would be a debt security issued by CS that would then convert into equity in first Boston, but it doesn't mean they're going to take $2 billion. Probably a bit over $500 million is what they'll actually uh, take. I'm told a lot of alternative and uh, asset investors have been involved there and a number of others. So that's the plan uh, at this point. Just wanted to sort of get to that uh, on first Boston. In the 10 o'clock hour, Leslie and I will talk a bit more about what's been going on with Credit Suisse, the reaction in the stock market, as you can see, for the first time in some time, a positive one. Um, you guys want to move on now to Chevron? You ready? Yeah, sure. Yeah? All right. Let's bring him in. Let's bring in Mike Worth. I know he's been waiting a bit for us. Uh, Chevron shares, as you see, they're, yeah, they're higher, but about uh, 1.5%. This on the company's earnings beat. It did report a profit of $11.2 billion in the third quarter. That was just shy of its last quarter, which was uh, a record. Um, Let's bring in Mike Worth now, uh, the CEO of Chevron for uh, First on CBC, or an exclusive. Mike, always good to have you. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for being with us. Um, 
any number of different questions here. Uh, you know, production was better than expectations. Uh, and I'm curious, I guess, on that front as to whether that should be continued, should continue to be the expectation of the market, that you will beat what at least have been the expectations for uh, production thus far. Well, David, it was a uh, it was a good quarter, and we've been investing steadily in growing our production. Uh, we had a record in the Permian Basin, uh, up uh, 15% year to date versus the same period last year. We had our strongest ever uh, production out of our Australian liquefied natural gas business. The world needs more supply, and uh, and we're delivering that, and we're winning back investors. We delivered. Uh, Higher returns, uh, year-to-date, our return on capital employed is well above 20%. Our cash yield uh, to shareholders is 7.5% if you take the dividend and the buyback together. Uh, we're delivering lower carbon, and yet we still trade around half of the market multiple. Energy represents about 5% of the S&P 500 by market cap, but more than double that in earnings. So uh, we're, we're performing well, and uh, we intend to continue to do so. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the multiple because I am curious. The buybacks, you know, they continue. Uh, what is it, $3.75 billion a common during the quarter? Well, that was basically in line with your guidance. But at what point, given the chart that our viewers are looking at right now, do you feel like, you know what, maybe my stock's getting less cheap and it's not worth spending that much of shareholders' uh, money on buying it back? Well, David, we're doing it all, quarter in and quarter out, year after year. Uh, we've raised our dividend for 35 years in a row. Uh, we were up 20% uh, beginning in 2020 through COVID when many in our industry cut or held flat. Uh, we've been investing to, to grow both our traditional and our new energy businesses. Our spend this year is up 50% uh, versus the same period last year. We've got a strong balance sheet and we've bought shares back for 15 out of the 19 uh, last year. So uh, we've got a very balanced approach to uh, capital allocation. Uh, we've been consistent and disciplined through the cycles of the business, and we intend to continue to stay consistent and disciplined uh, as we go forward. Mike, Jim Kramer, it's great to have you on the show. Good to see you, Jim. Mike, I'm reading this methane report you just put out. It, it, it's rather extraordinary, and it makes me feel that we are thinking of oil companies incorrectly. I know that there's a view, I would talk about with Larry Fink's view, say from BlackRock, Oil's either good or oil's bad, or we should say that this group is brown and this group is green. What you're doing with methane is basically saying, listen, we're going to take a leadership. We're going to do our best to stamp out, stamp out methane wherever we can. This, this distinguishes, to me, that Chevron's well ahead of everybody else. Are we ever going to get to the point where we're not going to consider oil companies as equal when it comes to getting rid of emissions? Well, Jim, what we're doing is trying to meet the world's growing uh, demand for energy and do it in a way uh, that reflects the expectations for lower emissions and, and lower carbon emissions, lower greenhouse gas emissions. We've been a leader in methane management. We design facilities. We operate facilities to keep the methane in the pipes. And we're finding increasingly uh, effective techniques to identify uh, leaks and emissions and address those. Uh, we report very transparently. Uh, so our intent is to uh, be a part of the energy future. Uh, we intend to meet the world's needs today, but also uh, invest in new uh, technologies, not only methane management, but uh, renewable fuels. We earlier this year uh, completed an acquisition. We're now the second largest biofuels and renewable fuel, renewable diesel producer in the United States. Uh, we're investing in carbon capture, hydrogen, uh, other technologies 
uh, to lower the emissions profile of energy use across the economy. And so, uh, look, I think that uh, we've been around for 143 years. We intend to continue to be a very responsible player. And, and the methane report, I think, is just one, uh, one example of that. But you and I have talked about the idea of pipeline capacity, how important it is. It's not been necessarily something that's been a focus on the White House. But this week, permanent gas prices at the Waha Hub went negative. And this was due to a lack of takeaway capacity. I think Chevron has takeaway capacity. You're not talking about Europe specifically. But at what point do we realize, as the government realize, you know what, we've got a lot more, contribute a lot more, could make it so we're a lot more energy independent. But we have to join together and make it so that we don't have a lack of takeaway capacity. That's insane. Well, you know, your point is a good one. We need to be able to invest in American energy production. We need to be we need to be able to invest in the infrastructure that enables that production. Uh, we share, you know, the administration's objectives of ensuring stable and affordable fuel supplies. Uh, but over time, as demand grows, that does require investment. We have to be able to get permits. We have to be able to construct facilities and. Uh, you know, the situation in the Permian was a transient one because of some maintenance on a pipeline there, but it does illustrate the point uh, that we have the opportunity in this country with our uh, tremendous resources and the tremendous companies in this industry to uh, continue to be a very strong and secure supplier of energy to this economy. Mike, what are your expectations for uh, Russian supplies, particularly come, let's call it December? Are they going to be impacted? Well, it's, uh, it's, we've never really seen uh, something like this with uh, the, the combination of sanctions uh, that have been uh, enacted and are going to affect in early December from the EU. Uh, this price cap, which the details are still not entirely clear, uh, that, that appears to be um, coming into effect from the, the G7. And then, of course, uh, you know, Russia has indicated that uh, uh, they may not uh, supply uh, buyers in the countries that uh, uh, participate in that cap. So there are uh, a kind of a convergence of uh, really unprecedented uh, actions that we see. And uh, I think it's, it's difficult to predict uh, what that means other than uh, commodity markets uh, remain volatile and unpredictable. Demand is actually uh, very strong still, despite the recession concerns in the China COVID restrictions. Uh, we've got tight supply markets that are subject to disruptions uh, related to the kinds of things you, you bring up, David. And then, of course, winter weather uh, can be a wild card. So uh, I think markets yeah. are, are difficult to predict uh, as we go through these next few months. Well, you mentioned, of course, sort of we haven't seen anything quite like it. What are your expectations for the cap plan, for example, on Russian oil? Do you think it can work? Well, the, the details still really have not been finalized, but, uh, you know, Oil is traded in global markets. There are many, many players. Uh, there are, uh, uh, it's a very uh, complex market. And, and I think the idea that uh, uh, certain governments can uh, impose floors and caps and, uh, and, and really, um, you know, control that market is, uh, uh, it's difficult for me to see how that works. I and mean, markets are driven by supply, demand, and expectations, and uh, and so um, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure I understand how the the cap really will work. Oh, Mike, maybe you can help me. I, I know that the administration is saying, "Listen, uh, we're getting a huge amount of oil out of America," uh, but it's actually things have been languishing at about 12 million barrels since June, despite the price increase. 
1.1 million below the production peak in March of 2020. And if you look at the Nyabrar, the Bakken, the Anadarko, and the Eagleford, they're down collectively by 18%. Uh, is the administration doing enough to encourage drilling, or is that just the way it's going to be going forward? Well, Jim, you know, to enhance our uh, supplies in this country and our energy security, um, I think the best path is collaboration between the energy sector and policymakers. And uh, look, we share the, the desire to have stable, well-supplied markets. Uh, our industry has received mixed signals uh, from the administration and, uh, and from some in Congress. And the words and the actions don't always align. And, and I think that's what uh, would be helpful is, uh, is to uh, get on the same page. I think there are areas of common ground. Uh, we've talked earlier about methane uh, emissions, for instance. Uh, we've talked about carbon capture, uh, which the you know the Inflation Reduction Act encourages. So I think there's there's common ground, and uh, but we need to see the words and the actions line up, and I think that creates an investment environment that people would have uh, more confidence in. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, Mike. You know, has that changed at all the way you're thinking about investments and the amount that you are already committing? Uh, to various efforts to reduce your carbon footprint? We've laid out our plans. Uh, we tend to take a long view on uh, our investments. It's a cyclical industry, and discipline always matters. Uh, good times uh, don't last. Uh, difficult times don't last. And so you have to have uh, an approach to capital allocation that sees through those cycles. There's certain elements in the uh, in Inflation Reduction Act that would incentivize uh, investment in carbon capture or in hydrogen, and those are two areas where we're doing a lot of work, and we have a lot of uh, a lot of optimism. And so I think uh, it will help uh, encourage some investment and uh, and and hopefully bring costs down, so these uh, technologies become more competitive. Uh, but fundamentally, we we've outlined the intent to invest ten billion dollars by 2028 in a, a suite of technologies. We're well on the way to do that. And, and I don't think the Inflation Reduction Act fundamentally changes uh, our, uh, our view on uh, where we see the best opportunities. All right. Nor does the prodigious amount of cash flow your company's producing right now? <laughs> well, you know, we're, uh, we're, as I said, we're in a cyclical business. Times are good right now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and look, we've had a very consistent approach to uh, capital allocation. Uh, we've, we've increased our dividend for 35 years in a row. We're investing to grow both traditional and new energy. Uh, we're maintaining a very strong balance sheet. And uh, we've bought shares back 15 of the last 19 years. And so uh, there's a balanced approach that we take and, uh, and we intend to keep that through the cycles. And, uh, and that means as, as uh, prices cycle down, we intend to maintain that balanced approach to, uh, to capital allocation. Understood, message heard loud and clear. Yeah, exactly. uh, Mike Worth, always a pleasure, thank you. Thank you, Mike. David, Jim, good to be with you. As we go to break, let's take a look at the bond report. Nice little bounce here off of the open. Uh, S&P up 30 points. The tech spiders up 2%. You got the 10-year below four. The VIX right around 26 and a half. Don't go anywhere. Jim, what's on that tonight? Well, we've got Columbia Sportswear. to be very interesting, by the way, because uh, VF has been hurt. But then maybe one of the most interesting companies we didn't even talk about, we got Pinterest. Then we have Cheryl Palmer, because I need to know about the housing business. Let's go back once again. Pinterest is a stock that's up big. A lot of, a lot of people feel that it was not making money, and now it's going to. Yeah. Hey, uh, great week of shows. A busy one, and there's more next week. Don't you forget. Bet. We'll see you tonight, Mad Money, right, 6 p.m.
You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.